You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. To grab your Bible, but not to open it. When's the last time you heard that from a pastor? Grab your Bible and not open it yet, is what I'd like to say to you this morning. So as you're taking out your Bible, we are in the midst of a series that is dovetailing this capital campaign, but it's bigger than that. It's about this idea of giving and how do we, how do we enter into this question of giving and actually being generous, um, which is what really the Bible calls us to. And as I, we started this last week, but as I've been continuing to think about this topic, this theme, you know, it's just come to my attention, you and I, we live in a world where for the most part, we tend to perceive, we tend to talk as if there's not enough. You know, we talk there's not enough time, there's not enough talent, there's not enough money, there's not enough information, there's not enough interest, there's not enough participation. For most of us, on all accounts, the way we see it, there's not just not enough to go around. But here's the, the question that that perception that I think predominates raises for us. And this is the question. If, if, if there truly is not enough, is this because our creator, our God, has not provided enough for all of us to begin with? Or is there not enough because of how we handle, individually and collectively, what we have been given by God? It's an interesting question, and it's one that we're going to wrestle with as we continue to explore this idea that generosity is our response. Generosity is the response to the grace of God. As we started talking about last week, when grace happens, when we experience grace, when we live into and out of the grace of God, generosity naturally follows. And we looked at this last week, if you weren't with us, by considering the story of Jacob. Jacob was a schemer who once was always trying to wheel and deal in order to make the life he sought for himself until Jacob encountered the grace of God, and that turned Jacob from a schemer into a dreamer, someone who was moved to live differently, to live generously out of the Lord's vision of the good life, not just for himself, but for all the world. And if you remember that story, or if you weren't with us last week, in that moment, the tangible expression of Jacob's generosity was to vow to give back to the Lord a tenth of all that he had received from God. And that phrase in English, to give back a tenth, is the Hebrew word tithe. And today, that's what we're going to reflect upon. We're going to reflect upon the tithe, the origins, the significance, the practice of giving back to God a tenth from what God has given us. Now, in saying that, I recognize something. The mere mention of the tithe causes Christians to squirm and gnash their teeth. It could be argued, and I think quite successfully, within the church, tithing as a biblical concept is as contentious and controversial as paying one's taxes to the government. But, as I hope we'll realize today, tithing isn't about something the Lord wants from us as much as it is about something our Heavenly Father wants 
for us. So you probably already can guess we're going to be doing things a little bit differently this morning. We are not going to be opening up to our, the, the focal passage, the primary Bible passage I want to look at till near the end of the sermon. You can open up your Bibles and follow along, but what I'm going to be doing for the, much of the first part of this sermon is briefly surveying how, when, and why the Lord made being generous into the law. Part of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the instructions and commands that God gave Israel. And after a little background on tithing, then I'm going to take us to our key biblical passage this morning. Spoiler alert before we get there, though. You aren't going to hear a message rooted in guilt and shame about giving. If you hang on, and it's going to be a trip today, it'll actually be quite the opposite kind of story. So let's dig in. Most people, I find, most people in the church, most people assume tithing, this idea of giving a tenth back to God, started as a legal requirement during the formation of the nation of Israel. Most people think that's where tithing came from. God created this legal requirement to give back a tenth to him when he was forming the nation of Israel. But if you, if you were here last week, and even if you just heard my recap, if that's true, if that's when tithing started, then where did Jacob get the idea of giving a tenth back to the Lord? And the answer is, apparently, it was passed down to Jacob from his grandfather, Abraham. The first biblical instance of the tithe is found in Genesis chapter 14. And if you haven't read Genesis in a while and certainly don't remember Genesis 14, Genesis 14 tells the story of how after a battle with some warring kings, Abraham brought back his nephew Lot, who had been captured, and he also brought back all the goods that had been taken from his family. And as a part of Genesis 14 comes up, we're focusing in on what happened next. Upon returning, Abraham is greeted by a man named Melchizedek, who among other things, as you can see, is declared to be a priest of the Lord of heaven, of God most high. Melchizedek blesses Abraham as he declares Abraham's victory has been achieved by the grace of God. And at the very end of this, you see, in response to Melchizedek, in response to this priest who represents God, Abraham gives back to the Lord a tenth of everything. Something right from the get-go to notice and to hold on to for later. Abraham gives back to the Lord not out of obligation. Nowhere in this encounter is Abraham ordered to give in this way. No, Abraham gives out of gratitude for God who has given him the victory. In gratitude for the God who continues to bless him. Evidently, Abraham then passed on this practice of tithing down to his son Isaac and later to his son Jacob. And we saw the example of that last week as we looked at one of, a part of Jacob's story. Both of them tell us that the tithe was something, this practice that existed long before it gets mentioned again in the Bible. And the interesting thing is after Jacob's story, there is no mention of tithing again until the book of Exodus. And it's after the Israelites have been liberated from their slavery in Egypt and are on their way to their new home in the promised land of Canaan. During this journey, the Lord through Moses gives his people instructions, commandments of how to live together in relationship with him as well as how to represent him before the rest of the world. And one of those many commandments is for the people to tithe, to give a tenth of everything back to the Lord. In fact, the book of Leviticus, 
establishes the law of the tithe. And the scripture that's going to come up on the screen is only part of a larger text that I'm pointing to, which is something you want to go, may want to go look back later at today or look back at, look at while I'm preaching. But you see here where God establishes in Leviticus, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. We might wonder, why did tithing have to become a law? I mean, if it had been a practice that Abraham had started and passed on to his children, and these are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why have to make it a law? And the answer is this. The people of Israel needed, at this time in their story, to be reoriented from their former Egyptian lifestyle. They had spent centuries under foreign domination, and centuries of foreign domination had, had resulted in the people learning patterns of thinking and acting that were not God-centered. They had developed bad, unhealthy habits, not grounded in the way that our Creator designed for us to live. So in the wilderness, God takes His children to school in order to shape them into the kind of people, the kind of witnesses for Him from which the rest of the world could see and learn. And the tithe apparently is a part of that reorientation. Codified for the people of Israel here is something they had forgotten. And understanding that we witnessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob acknowledge earlier on. And that acknowledgement is this. All that we are and all that we have is by God's grace. Nothing, none of it is anything we earn, anything we deserve, anything we even create on our own. Everything, all of it is provided to us by the Lord. So what we see from the outset is the act of tithing is a reminder of this fact that God is the supplier of everything we have. But what's important to see is when we give back 10%, we aren't giving something to God, like a gift. We're giving back from what was the Lord's to begin with, giving back from what the Lord has given us. Once again, it's all grace, and the only response to grace is generosity, to give out of what we have been given. So tithing, in fact, then, sets, it serves as a standard a starting point for being generous. And this is very important for you to hear because we often have heard, I've heard a lot of, I think, incorrect teaching on tithing. Contrary to popular understanding, the tithe as presented by God isn't a heavenly tax or a divine gratuity. It's a baseline from which to begin to become the people who rightly reflect the graciousness of our Lord, the grace that defines the character of God and it's done by sharing his grace given to us through being generous toward others. Another way of saying this in terms of the tithe, generosity has to start somewhere. And let's be honest, you and me, us together, on our own, apart from God, our generosity tends to be a sporadic aspect of our lives rather than the consistent pattern of our living. I mean, we give when we feel like it. We give, oh yeah, when we remember to. We give when we believe we can. And pushing it further, when we give, we tend to aim low, not high. There's a reason the national average in terms of charitable giving is just under 3%. Just under 3%. And then added to all of this, if we give, 
any and all of our giving derives from a perception of ownership. What I have is mine. I earned it. I deserve it. It belongs to me. And therefore, God establishes tithing as a law to reorient us to the undeniable truth that all that we have, all that we hope to have, comes from him. God commands us as his people to tithe in order to make us people who don't just profess to believe in God's grace, but who live out of that grace through being generous toward others. And this is more clearly seen as this institution of the tithe continues to develop. It develops later in the book of Deuteronomy, where the Lord in Deuteronomy spells out both the reason for the tithe and the handling of the tithes of the people. First, in Deuteronomy 14, and again, you're seeing part of a larger whole, we see God calling on each person to bring a tenth of whatever has been received by the Lord's hand. And if you look at that passage in more detail, it's quite interesting. What they are to give is all-inclusive in terms of their resources. Grain, wine, olive oil, the firstborn of their herds and their flocks. Something else that to me is very, very interesting, another little but significant thing that we catch in Deuteronomy, catch about the institution of the tithe, is everybody contributes. Everybody contributes. Everyone gets to participate in being generous. In God's economy of grace, everyone gives back according to the same standard, but not the same amount. Each person's capacity may vary, and then and now our capacities vary, but generosity is not exercised unequally. No one is imposed to give back more than they have. Everyone is enabled to give back based upon what they have been given. Because you see, generosity born of grace grace precludes the politics of envy or the competition of class warfare. Generosity born in response to what one has received from the Lord ensures each person plays a part in representing God's grace, in contributing to the Lord's agenda for his creation. Now let's be clear here. The people of Israel were directed to give back a tenth of everything they had received, but not back directly to God. Because God has no need of anything. And certainly God has no need of something he's already given to us. No, the people of Israel, as you can see here, are directed to give back to be generous to those who support the local community. So that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. The people of Israel are directed to give back, to be generous to those who support the local community, particularly those who are tasked to lead the people in worship and service to the Lord. In this case, the Levites, priests, the priests who, unlike everyone else, had no tribal allocation of the land. Their work, their physical necessities depended upon the generosity of the people whom they served on behalf of the Lord. And similarly, we are called to give back to God by generously supporting the people and ministries through which our spiritual needs are met and through whom we are learning, growing, and maturing in our relationship with the Lord. What we understand today as the local church. This is why, if you were with us, last week I asked you, if this is your church home, if this is your community, if this is... If we are the people whom you look to and rely upon, 
if together you share our heart for moving beyond this campus and out into the neighborhood to bless and serve others, to impact lives for the better. I said, if all of these things are true, then I asked you to give back to the Lord by generously contributing to what God is doing here in and through grace. But God goes even further in Deuteronomy. The Lord goes even further in Deuteronomy, not just indicating the purpose of the tithe, but the way we ought to give back a tenth of everything to God. In Deuteronomy 26, the next slide that you're about to see, we are told what we give back to the Lord is to be the first fruits of all that we have. Take some of the first fruits of all you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. In other words, this idea of giving first fruits, the tenth that we offer for the work of God is to be the first allocation we make with what we have been given by the grace of God. What we give back to God is to be the best of what we have to offer. It's to be the cream off the top of the fresh milk from the cow. Anybody ever had that before? I mean, we're talking milk that just got, came from the cow. The, the cream on the top that you can just skim off there. We don't have that anymore. There are people who've grown up who talk about stories with their siblings where they would fight over to getting the cream on the top of the milk and getting in trouble with their parents. That's, that's what we're talking about here. The cream on the top of the fresh milk from the cow. We're talking about the choicest cut of the meat. We're talking about the pick of the litter, the finest vintage, the most choice favored portion. And we need to hear this. God needs to speak this into our lives because again, if we're keeping it real, apart from God, we perceive generosity in a completely different way. Apart from God, we perceive generosity as giving from what we have left over. Giving after we have covered or taken care of everything else. In this way, we think of gen being generous as putting aside a little extra of what remains and then offering it to God. But here, the Lord teaches us generosity is not about our later or eventual response. Generosity is to be our first response. Giving God back to God is not to be an afterthought from what we think we have left. Giving back to God is to be a matter of first priority from the best we have received. If you think about it, since this whole idea of generosity is to be a reflection of God's grace, this makes sense, doesn't it? Because God's grace, the Lord's provision in our lives, is not an afterthought. God doesn't give us his leftovers. The Lord gives us his best, his one and only son in Jesus Christ. And if, as those, us, we who have received God's first fruits, his grace, as those who are called to represent God's grace to others, our generosity must come first. Our generosity must come out of the best of that which the Lord has blessed us. Now, very, very quickly, I have laid out a lot. There's a lot more places I could go, but I've given you the basic gist on the origin, the basis, the significance of tithing. And by this point in smaller conversations I've had, when, we, when this kind of gets laid out, this is when most people begin to ask stuff like this. So is this really about giving 10%? I mean, what if that percentage is going to break my budget? Is that percentage negotiable? Can I, like, work up to 10%? Is that 10% before or after taxes? And, and, well, you know, hold on. Most of us aren't growing grain, making olive oil, or raising cattle these days. 
So I've heard, I mean, tithing is actually about time, talent, and treasure. And if that's true, then can I divide my tithe among those three categories to get to that 10%, you know, like uh, 3% of my time, 5% of my talent, and 2% of my treasure? And then there's always the well-versed Bible reader, and you know who you are, and I know you're out here today. There's always the well-versed Bible reader who will ask, whoa, (laughs) Pastor Chris, I noticed you've been preaching out of the Old Testament. I'd like to turn to the New Testament, if you will, because, I mean, didn't Jesus get rid of the requirements of the law? I think I heard Pastor John preach a whole sermon series on that. Didn't Jesus get rid of the requirements of the law, so isn't it all about the gospel now? And if that's true, then this tithing isn't a thing anymore, right? Now, oh boy. (laughs) We're gonna look in more detail about what Jesus had to say about tithing, about money, and more importantly, about generosity next week. But it's enough to say for now, today, All these sorts of questions, all of them, are missing the point of why God established the tithe as a principle. My friends, hear this. The tithe is not about satisfying some percentage. It's not about doing your fair share. It's not about paying your dues, meeting your obligation, and then being done with your responsibility to God. Once again, in establishing the baseline of the tithe, it's not about something the Lord wants from us as much as it is about something our Heavenly Father wants for us. Let me try to break this down by way of an example that I hope will get us there. From an early age, I mean, almost from the moment they can form words and speak, we teach our children to always say thank you. We do this to instill in them from the start a baseline response, a posture of gratitude. We're teaching our children not just to run off and spend or use or enjoy what they have received, but instead to take time to be purposeful, intentional in stopping and acknowledging a gift has been given to them and therefore to tangibly express appreciation. Teaching our children to say thank you, though, to say thank you, is the bare minimum. It's a starting point. Some of us go even further and teach our children to send a thank you card. Or some of us teach them to specifically get up, look that particular person in the eye, and perhaps extend a hand or a hug of thankfulness. The reason is our hope and our expectation are that this baseline, this starting point, will inspire a developing, ongoing posture of gratitude. In other words, saying thank you, teaching that to our children is not just about being polite or respectful. We don't teach our children to say thank you just because it's what you're supposed to do. We teach them to say thank you because we are trying, again, to instill in them the disposition of being mindful of others, of freely sharing out of the awareness of what they have received. We are trying as parents to encourage them to become grateful people, people who live out of gratitude. Beloved, in the very same way, the Lord calls us to tithe, to give back to him, not because he tells us to do so, but because our creator wants us to become like him. 
As always, with God, it's not about the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, reflecting the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father to become a people who live graciously, generously before others like he is with us, to become a people who live graciously and generously, not just on Sunday when the offering plate comes around, but every day as the Lord places opportunities before us. One of the ways I like to think about this is the gratitude born of tithing. The gratitude born of tithing puts money in its place. The gratitude born of tithing puts money in its place. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping into an expression here. You know, when something gets out of hand in our lives, when something interferes where it does not belong, when something distracts or draws us away from where our focus needs to be, when something threatens to overtake or predominate our lives, we have this expression, right? This idea of putting something in its place, of reorienting whatever that thing is to its designed purpose, to where it's supposed to fit in our lives. The gratitude born of tithing puts money in its place. The thing is, money, of course, on its own is not bad or dangerous. But money, and we're going to hear Jesus talk about this a lot next week, money, however, perhaps more than anything else, bears the potential to get in the way of our relationship, not only with God, but with everyone else. Money and the other resources we have often get out of place in our lives, leading us to act in out of leading us to act out of arrogance, leading us to act out of greed, leading us to act out of self-sufficiency, and ultimately, whether we want to admit it or not, leading us to act out of fearful dependency. What we possess frequently ends up possessing us. Gratitude, however, expressed through tithing, puts money in its place. Tithing is a practice, a starting point is about allowing gratitude to God to inform, to train how we use our money. Gratitude present, prevents the money we have, all the resources we have been given from driving and dominating us. Instead of worshiping and serving wealth, gratitude ensures the money and resources we have been given serve not our agenda, but God's purposes. And this is always the preferred outcome because whatever God's purposes are for us are the best life we can possibly have. I've been trying and I'm going to continue to share my own personal journey, our journey, Beth and I as we're married, as we've wrestled with giving, these, how God calls us to be generous. I'm not going to recap where I was, everything from last week, but there was a profound movement in my life right as we were getting married of realizing that if I was waiting to be generous, I never was going to be generous that God had set me up to be generous with whatever he had given me. But then early on in our marriage, to be completely honest with you, Beth and I struggled. We struggled even though we were trying to be generous. We struggled because we tended to find our giving was sporadic. You know, when we remembered to bring our checkbook to church, when there was actually money in our wallet, you know, when, you know, when we remembered to, uh, when, we, when we, we thought, you know, well, okay, we've got a little extra left over, we can give like this. But it was sporadic. And part of what was driving that is we kept wrestling in the midst of growing in our relationship with Christ. Teaching like you're hearing today, we were wrestling with the percentage, wrestling with making the percentage. All those questions I gave you before, those are all questions I was asking. Is that before or after taxes? Is there wiggle room on this? Can I like work up to that? Time, talent, and treasure. Can we negotiate that? 
And it was maddening. It, it never gave us a sense of feeling generous. It gave us a sense of guilt and shame. It gave us a sense of feeling like we were failing all the time, feeling like we were dodging. And, you know, it was, it was a mess. I, I, I was the one who would squirm and cringe when tithing would be brought up. Oh, not this again. Jesus. Seriously. Not this. Jesus. I said that for effect. That all changed. I'll never forget it for both of us because we would talk, think about it apart, talk together like you do as a couple. And often we didn't talk about it because it never went anywhere. But when, there was a moment in the midst of going through the same conversation again. I'll never forget this. Another pivotal moment by God's grace working in our, in our lives that we realized where we were hung up. Despite wanting to be generous, despite trying to be generous, money was driving our generosity. Money was still driving our generosity. The lack of it or what we thought we had, money was driving our generosity rather than gratitude. And I'll never forget that moment because a switch was forever flipped when instead of focusing on the money, the resources, we focused on thanksgiving. We started by counting our blessings rather than trying to fit generosity into our budget rather than trying to figure out what we had left over. And everything changed. Guys, if you're trying to fit giving back to God into your budget, you are always going to be wrestling with the percentage. You're always going to be wrestling with this idea of what you're supposed to do. And you are going to miss what you get to do. You're going to miss the power of gratitude unleashed in your life, not just in honoring God, but God working through your gratitude in profoundly blessing and impacting others. It's, it's, it, I, 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 I'm tempted to tell you stories, and if you want to talk to me differently, I can give you stories in our life, and there are other stories. You have them. Those of you who know what I'm talking about right now, when you give out of gratitude rather than trying to make the percentage, it's a totally different experience. And this leads us, dovetails us right into the key Bible passage that I want to look at today from Exodus 35 and 36. You can open up to it if you like. And I know that some of you are like, oh my God, if we're just getting to the Bible passage now, this is going to be one of those marathon sermons by Pastor Chris. Nah, not going to. It's totally backwards, I know. But this story speaks for itself. This story you're going to see speaks for itself in highlighting everything we've learned today. I'm going to give you a quick lead in so we don't go cold, come into this cold. Here's what's going on. On their way from Egypt to the promised land, God has revealed a very detailed set of instructions, specifying the construction of a temporary portable structure, what is called a tabernacle, a dwelling place where God promises to be present among his people. He is with them, but something visible they can see, he can know, they can know he is with them and for them every step of the way. That's what's happened previously. God's kind of laid this out through Moses. But now the time has come when we get to Exodus 35. The time has come for God's people to start the building project. And Moses, on the Lord's behalf, as you can see there, calls the people to supply all the needed materials. And if you actually look at chapters 35 and 36, it's quite fascinating because there's a very specific list of materials, supplies, and skills. And from that very specific list, just like we talked about, what you'll see in this story is everyone contributes. Each person gave from what they could, from what they had. More than this, and this is what I want you to see in this particular verse, we are told that the people responded willingly. 
not out of a sense of obligation, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to God. They didn't give out of a sense of obligation. They gave out of an awareness of gratitude of God's blessings. And then as this story continues in 35 and 36, you'll see it, you can highlight it almost. There's this strong repeated emphasis on all this is possible, just like we've talked about. The people have stuff to give, skills and resources because of the Lord's enabling power. The Lord has given them what he's asking them to give back. The Lord has made this great work possible. Now, that's awesome, and that complements everything that we see in Scripture, but this is one of those moments I step aside for a second, and this is me, I'm logical in this way, and I go, hold on, if basically what we're hearing is the people are only giving back to God out of what the Lord had already given them, why go through all this? If this is true, why doesn't God, why does God bother to go through this whole exercise in the first place? I mean, if God could miraculously part the Red Sea, if God regularly is sending manna down from heaven, why doesn't God just fully construct the tabernacle with a snap of his fingers? And the answer, as you'll see, much like the law of the tithe, as I've unpacked it for you, is this. The purpose of the building project wasn't as much about the Lord building, of, building a tabernacle as much as it was the Lord building up the character of his grace, the expression of generosity born of gratitude in the hearts of his people. You'll notice the resolution of this story is not the celebration of a building project. That comes later. Go back a slide for me for a second. Go back. Because we have this moment in the midst of the building project where the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing. They left the project and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. The capstone of this story is not the celebration, the end of the building project. That comes later. What's pointed to, what's celebrated is the outcome of God's people giving more than enough. The next slide, we have one of the most beautiful pictures in scripture. Get this. Then Moses gave an order and sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. When is the last time you had a pastor say, you know what, there's just so much, please, please stop giving. Please, it's just, we have too much. And all of you are like, I wanna go to that church. Here's the thing is, is if you go to that church, then you gotta be the people who give more than enough. This is a beautiful picture because, guys, gratitude so marks their giving back to God here that Moses has to restrain the people in their generosity. In other words, what I see here is the people had become, through this, this experience, people had become not just generous, but what we see here is the people had become more than generous. More than generous. And then, then again, when you think about it, of course they did. Of course they became more than generous because that's exactly the kind of God we worship and follow, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, all we need from God, need from God is mercy, right? All we need is forgiveness. We need pardon. We need peace. We're like the prodigal son, right? In the face of all of our rebellion and screw-ups against our Heavenly Father, all we need is just not to be cast out, to be permitted to become one of the Lord's hired servants. That's all we need, right? But our Father, not just in the parable Jesus tells, but in reality, our Father is more than generous toward us in that he gives us grace, more than we deserve, 
more than we need, despite all we've done, despite having nothing to offer by ourselves, the Lord embraces us not as his servants. Fine, you can come work for me. Go over there. No, the Lord embraces us as family, as his children. God is more than generous in not just giving us what we need, forgiveness and pardon and peace. Yes, amen. But also extending to us the invitation to flourish, change their clothes, kill the fatted calf, throw a party. God gives us more than we need as he invites us, enables us to become the best we can be and to enjoy the best life we can have, a full, abundant life in communion with God and in unity with each other forever. God's more than generous gift of grace comes only through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. But it's a gift that purposes not just to spare us, not just to save us, but to change us, to transform us. Beloved, through the principles of tithing, God seeks to guide our giving, not so that we remember to tip him like some dealer at the blackjack table, but so that we become like him, so that we will become more than generous, just as God has been and continues to be toward us. I'm here to tell you, 100% convinced No backing down, underline it, highlight it, whatever you want, put it in all caps. The Spirit of the Lord is on the move here at Grace. Once again, do you see it? Can you hear it? Are you paying attention? God has provided a blueprint for something he purposes to construct. And it's more than just the repair and renovation of these buildings and this campus, though they are a part of our future. No, what I'm talking about continues to be the Lord's most ambitious construction project ever, the body of Christ. More than a building, a temple not made with human hands, but a people, a movement, a family through which God purposes to make a difference in this world, to change it, to transform lives, relationships, communities, nations for the better, for the best humanity can be. And I stand before you and I am telling you, in giving to grace, to this campaign, as well as to the regular day-to-day staff, ministries, and partnerships of this community, you are giving back to God. You are contributing to the Lord's grand construction project, to this small but mighty section of the kingdom of God located in Orange County, California. And I'm here to tell you that everyone's contributions are needed for our community to become the people the Lord has called us to be. Everyone's contributions are needed for the next generation to be able to take up the mantle of leadership, of worship and service. And so I am appealing to you, and I'm not going to stop to give, but I am not appealing you to you to give out of a sense of guilt. Lord, no. I am not appealing to you to give out of a sense of guilt. Too often, the size of our giving is a function of the size of our guilt. Guilt doesn't cultivate generosity. Guilt only fosters a sense of obligation. If you have been tithing or giving back to God because it's just what you're supposed to do, because you're obligated to, you've been getting it wrong your entire life. I am not appealing to you out of guilt. God does not invite you to give out of a sense of guilt. I am appealing to you to give back to God just as Moses did, freely, in response not to guilt, 
but to grace, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude, gratitude for God's provision, for the Lord's blessings in your life, for our life together is grace. Are you blessed? Are you thankful? Are you grateful? Give. Because gratitude puts the money, the resources we have been given in their place. It does so by taking that money and those resources we have been given and making us more than generous, just like the God we follow. Making us more than generous to those to whom we have been called to share Christ.